Welcome to Herbal Hour, the podcast for those inspired by nature. I'm your host, Dr. Bogdan, and I'm a licensed naturopath and traditional herbalist practicing in the lovely state of Oregon, bringing you organic discussions with experts in natural medicine, alternative therapies, and holistic mental health. Hippocrates taught us that the doctor treats, but it is nature that heals. So take a deep breath and get comfortable. We hope you enjoy our conversations over a cup of the finest herbal tea, because in nature, it's always herbal hour. Today, we have special guest, Rochelle Robinette. She is a herbalist, holistic coach, and much more. Let's jump right into it with the question of who are you and uh, how did you get into this path? (laughs) Who am I and what am I doing here? Exactly. Those are the important uh, <laughs> questions. Uh, yeah, I am. I am Rochelle. Um, I am a practicing herbalist and the founder of Supernatural, which is this sort of ecosystem of, of a couple of companies, actually, that really wraps up what I've been doing for the last several years at this point, uh, just helping, you know, briefly helping people to be well naturally, which I know we'll talk more about. Uh, and yeah, what, what am I doing here? I mean, that's what I'm doing here. I think, I feel like we'll get into the history of all of it, but I'm originally a Pacific Northwest native and, you know, had, had a couple of lives before realizing, I think that, you know, my place is really in the, uh, in working with the natural world to help people to reconnect with it and reconnect with themselves and, um, you know, understand that we are living organisms with which Mm. we need to have a relationship in order to be well. So I'll leave it at that. Mm. That there's an important point in there, I think. Uh, and that's that connection with uh, nature aspect, uh, because herbalism isn't, isn't just that, you know, there's physiological effects of the herbs, there's medicinal benefits, which there are plenty, you know, there's tons of research on that. But it's also, um, as you alluded to, a kind of almost uh, mindset reconnection, a sympathy with nature. Uh, Because when you do work with herbs, you're you're reconnecting with the natural world, you know, uh, plants are living beings. Mm -hmm. And by some uh, incomprehensible mystery, uh, you can, uh, ingest them and then they give you like health benefits. And, uh, I know Matthew Wood once described it as when you ingest an herb, you take, it's like evolutionary adaptations into your body. So if, if an herb was, you know, really good at surviving in Arizona or something, then any kind of condition that resembles the difficulty of Arizona, when you take it, you almost get like an immunity to it. I thought that was a really interesting way to uh, tie it into. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. So there, there is that connection aspect. Do you find your work as, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, a spiritual path in some sense or something of that matter? Yeah, actually um, that's how I got into this in the first place as a kid, as a young person, um, I was looking for God. I was looking for truth. I was looking for spirituality. I was trying to understand the nature of reality and consciousness. And like this stuff 
you know, and I even like when I was young, I sort of made up a word for it. I was like, I'm trying to understand this, you know, like this stuff. And um, in my quest for it, I ended up studying world religions and thereby different um, traditions of healing. And, you know, you, if you're interested in yoga, Ayurveda's right along with it. And I was, you know, interested in Eastern philosophies and um, spending time with acupuncturists and having moxibustion very young. And um, it was all sort of intertwined. Um, and then, you know, I, I mean, as an older person was, was very enthralled by shamanism and all of the, um, plant medicines. And again, it's just like, it's all just sort of, it all goes together. Yeah. Yeah. So now most of the work that I do with people is very functional and much more functional than Mm. spiritual. But as a quick example, I was working with a client yesterday and we're working around improving that person's sleep. And sure, I recommend, you know, some herbs and some supplements and, um, you know, and some sleep hygiene. And then as part of that, we we came to the realization that this person wants to have more of a spiritual practice in their life. They're yearning for that. And so we decided mm-hmm. to make the evening routine, you know, dedicated to the exploration of that for them. And so not only are we getting them to bed earlier with you know, some supports for sleep, but we're opening up and sort of creating space for them to have spiritual practice too. So once again, you know, it it can show up, I think, where it's right for people and when it's right for people. And for me, you know, I do my spiritual work offline. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, You mentioned that you did, uh, uh, you had some interest in uh, Eastern philosophy. And before we started recording, uh, I was telling you that I I went to school uh, before naturopathic school for philosophy and Eastern philosophy was one of my particular interests and and still is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do a lot of mental health work specifically, Mm -hmm. and I've never found a better tool than understanding the philosophy and applying it through uh, mindfulness practice and things like that. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues that seem unsolvable when, you know, you put like a, a, a Zen Buddhism book in front of somebody, it's just, it's so simple. And it, I mean, it, it works. Uh, so, so what are some of those, uh, uh, areas of that way of thinking that really stood out to you? Was it more like the Indian philosophies like, um, Ayurveda, uh, more, I guess, like Chinese Chan Buddhism, there's Zen Buddhism, uh, there's like the yoga, what kind of aspect of that really, uh, were you interested in? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so modern and Western for me to say that different aspects of different ones resonated with me, but the ones that have over the years have really stuck too. So I would say, um, Buddhism, I continue to return to over and over and over again. And, um, I, Sometimes I'm in classes, sometimes I'm just reading, sometimes I was in a sangha through much of the pandemic, which was timed so perfectly, right? Mm. I think I just set it up right as my dad died. And so I had this weekly group, which was just, I can't even, you know, pronounce how helpful it was to have 
Um, but I don't feel like I am anywhere near where I would like to be with my practice or an understanding of, of Buddhism. Um, but once again, just the other week, just a couple, I would say two weeks ago, um, I reached out for a teacher and, I'm, and trying to make it more of a regular part of my life. So that's something that I continue to return to. Um, I also, when I first met, uh, the Tao, I, I was really compelled by, um, that. And then also I had the same sort of like yoga, like when I first met yoga, you know, it was, it was just like love at first experience. And I was, I think I was probably a teenager at the time and had no concept of what it was and had never, and I didn't grow up in a place where anybody ever did yoga or said yoga. Like I didn't know what it was, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. I practiced it once and was like, Oh, this is, this is right. (laughs) My body loves this, Mm -hmm. you know? So there have just been these things, um, that sometimes go together and sometimes don't. And when they resonate, they just resonate, you know? And I think I have to follow that to the end. Um, you know, I felt the same way about plant medicine and, and, um, shamanism sort of early on and shamanism is such a broad term, but, Mm um, you know, when I first sort of understood or was introduced to the concept that there are these, you know, guides who are working with these medicines who are helping with, you know, your sort of movement between planes or dimensions or whatever we're, you know, working with and the healing potential of that and these other places that we could go, you know, I needed to know what that was about too. And so I went through, you know, those experiences. And I think some of these things can continue on forever. And some of these things are, uh, you know, they cycle or they complete. And you sort mm-hmm. of feel like you, don't, you do or you don't need to continue working with this idea or this practice. Yeah, it's it's interesting that these topics like, you know, shamanism, herbalism, uh, natural healing are kind of seen to be like new things, like newly popular things, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> You're laughing because that's exactly right. Uh, you know, these are, these are the practices of humanity for maybe hundreds of thousands of years or, or longer. I mean, there's some, uh, there's some, uh, finds of, uh, like human, uh, uh, skeletons and things like that way, way back, hundred thousand, 200,000 years ago, uh, in some cases that they were using, uh, herbs in like a a shamanistic or, what we call now like a medicinal uh, way. Yeah. Um, so, so these kind of things are, are not just ancient. They are what everything has been outside of like pretty much uh, before, you know, World War II medicine, before the end of World War II yeah. medicine, the rise of industrialized yeah. medicine. So we think of uh, as a general culture and uh, particularly some of the dogmas around it is like, we've, we're way past that kind of magical mm. stuff. And mm. I'm, I'm just here to tell you that if you've ever read any Carl Jung, you know, we're definitely not past that magical stuff. <laughs> and actually, in fact, right now, more than ever, it is the most needed thing because there's, yeah. you can't, um, it's almost like to take out all these things that are fundamental to what it means to be a human, to be like mm. a natural human living on the earth, like an animal of the earth, to yeah. take all these things away. It's like, just chopping out your roots and saying, oh yeah, we just need the top part of the tree and the leaves because that's the part that's, you know, scientifically proven, but it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work like that with the mind or psyche and anyone who has very 
uh, symbolic, vivid dreams that, you know, actually help and guide them in their life, you know, mm. we'll, we'll know that as a, as a fact. And that's what, uh, you know, somebody practicing what we could group together as uh, shamanism uh, yeah. is doing. And one more thing on that. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, uh, Mercia Eliad or maybe Marcia Eliad. It's pronounced differently sometimes. Uh, I believe so. I'm looking up at my books, but I'm not off the top of my head. I don't he wrote a, a really thick, amazing book. Uh, it's called uh, Shamanism. Uh, and why I bring that up is he called shamanism uh, when he was looking for a definition to group all these various traditions all over the world, which amazingly have a lot of similarity too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, techniques of ecstasy. That's what he yeah, said shamanism nice. was. Yeah. And uh, ecstasy yeah. in, in terms of not like, you know, MDMA or Molly, <laughs> although mm-hmm. that's, you know, where it gets its name from to some extent, but ecstasy in the uh, literal meaning of uh, ecstasis, the spirit leaving the body, the mind leaving yeah. the body. It's almost like yeah. getting techniques for getting beyond yourself, for getting into yeah. a yeah. trance mm-hmm. and through that mechanism uh, working through uh, subconscious contents like directly, uh, not just on a rational level of, I think, I think this because of this, yeah. but actually, you know, seeing it symbolically like in, in dream form and that kind of thing is, is pretty, pretty remarkable. And it's not something that it's more like you have to, um, uh, someone has to like learn and train in it a little bit, but it's natural to humans. It's not something alien. Mm. Whereas mm-hmm. science is something kind of, uh, not to rag on science. I'm a really big fan of science. It, it Science is really more of a, a method than it is you know, mm. like a dogma or a set of information. Because these days, you know, kind of mm. throw around like, well, science says uh, it's really more of a method of inquiry. And in fact, yeah. science and shamanism can live perfectly well together because shamanism is the set of practices and uh, also a method. And, and science is a, a method of, of scrutiny. So I think together- sure. What can be better mm-hmm. than that, you know, so that you don't mm-hmm. do the woo-woo fluff stuff uh, and you get like the real stuff out of it, you know? So Yeah, that's actually um, to to replace the shamanism there with herbalism, not that they're not, you know, interchangeable as well. But that's David Winston, the herbalist, David Winston's um, vision for the future is that herbalism and, um, and modern medicine can work together in that way and just you know, coexist as opposed to uh, disagreeing. Yeah. David Winston, David Winston is great, great source to look into for uh, materia medicas and, and things Mm -hmm. like that. What I always come up with, and it's something I think about uh, pretty frequently. um, And I have my own, you know, theories for it, but I want to see what what you think. Um, A lot of times, you know, modern practitioners, uh, within, you know, what we might call the conventional health sphere, uh, or really the predominant form of medicine, there's kind of this attitude of, uh, oh, uh, herbs don't really work. There's, where's the scientific research? Like we have these great pharmaceuticals that we were proven to show. And, uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think, um, it is said that there isn't research in the area? And that's an important note, it is said, because there is research in the area, but why is that said? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, there's not going to be a single answer. I think that 
you know, in some cases, look, in some cases on some, you know, on some plants, of course, because there are so many and there are so many more that we discover all the time, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there isn't, you know, we have, mm-hmm. we haven't studied them all right. Or we have, and we don't understand yet the mechanism or mechanisms of action. And the way that plants work, herbs work, um, doesn't often, doesn't always fit into the sort of scientific uh, method of criticism where we are looking for a single mechanism of action to credit with the results, right? Um, And then I think there's also often a misunderstanding about the fact that, for example, I'm thinking of the efficacy of pharmaceutical antidepressants and how we might compare an herb to that. And that efficacy is actually so low that, you know, the herb, it can be, often is, you know, actually more effective. But if you took it on its own and you said, oh, it's 40% effective or it's 60% effective, you know, it um, isn't saying it's hundred percent effective. And so you can criticize that. I don't know. I think there's so many different, there's so many different reasons, but you asked, why is it said that there isn't research on the topic? I mean, I don't know. You know, I think it depends on what country you're in too. If you're, mm. you know, like, like there's so much more research on, um, traditional Chinese medicine because it's also being used in, um, you know, in a, a medical, um, practice so much Mm -hmm. more frequently than we are here. And we don't have a history of working with herbs here. So we don't have a history of studying them here. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a handful of of reasons. What do you think? Those are, those are great points. Yeah. I, I agree with, uh, with that factor of the scientific method, not, um, well, let me let me back up and not say scientific method. The current mode of experimentation and research mm-hmm. is very well suited for like singular compounds. Yes, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the gold standard, right? Double blind mm-hmm. controlled placebo study. Mm-hmm. Um, what people might not realize, um, looking deeper into it, in in what that is, there's a lot of. Um, assumptions that already go into even using that as the only way you experiment with. Yeah. Uh, for example, all the terms of, you know, how effective it is or looking at uh, uh, like biochemical measures and all this, they come from within that system of reductionism. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you look at uh, herbalism throughout history, they never had those terms. They never talked about them like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not how they were ever used uh, by yeah. really, uh, you know, uh, in the shamanistic uh, herbal sense. You wouldn't, you know, uh, give an herb for anxiety and depression. They didn't have a word for for that. <laughs> they had yeah. different, uh, more what I would call pattern-based things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the herb for, you know, if you're feeling cold, uh, you sweat a lot, you uh, you have low appetite and all these other factors, but it was kind of like a holistic package. Yeah. This herb is better for this and that organ because, you know, the ancients of course knew about the organs. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something uh, unknown to them, but yeah. So it's like uh, apples to oranges. Yeah. Um, 
And, and this comes into the idea in the naturopathic community. We talk a lot about the different ways of practicing naturopathic medicine. Mm. And uh, one of the things that's harped on a lot in the community as a kind of uh, uh, a negative way of using herbalism or not the best way, they call it a uh, green allopathy. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, allopathy is the, the name that's given by the community towards what we call conventional medicine. Uh, mm -hmm. these days. I don't know how, you know, MDs and, and people like that feel about that term. I know it's a little bit charged. It has negative connotations, so I don't like to use it super a lot, but yeah. calling a, a, a naturopathic uh, doctor uh, a green allopath in some sense means they're practicing exactly the way as you would with prescriptions and things where it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know, oh, you have a cough, here's anti-cough medicine compound. Totally. Just one compound, yeah. super high concentration. And of course that works. Like, really yeah. well uh in terms of stopping that one thing does it make you get healthier in most cases not really it just stops mm -hmm. the symptom and it's really good at it so so there's a lot of uses of pharmaceuticals i mean they're they could be amazing if you use them wisely they're not the solution because mm -hmm. the solution is always a lot of things at once uh but but using herbs in that same sense of oh this you know uh, passion flower was shown to have anti-anxiety effects in people with moderate to severe generalized anxiety disorder and impro improving sleep scores. So, yeah. you know, somebody comes into the clinic and you're like, I have generalized anxiety disorder and I have moderate sleep issues. And you're yeah. like, passion flower is the herb for you without any other questions. Right. Sure. Um, and why that doesn't work as well is because herbs are not as targeted, right? There's hundreds and thousands of compounds in herbs mm -hmm. that have mm -hmm. medicinal effects, right? So an herb has more of a kind of plethora of effects. Yeah. That's why the uh, the model of pattern-based makes way more sense because that's the most that you can say about how herb works is, well, I noticed that, you know, when somebody had a, you know, they were feeling, you know, nauseous and they were cold and their hands were clammy and uh, they ate a bunch of ginger. They started getting warm, sweating, and they felt a lot better. Wow. Okay. So th they couldn't, there wasn't any condition name to that, but they knew that yeah. it, it helped for that. So more empirical method. So, so that's, that's a really important aspect, but I, I also want to talk about uh, something I've been thinking about, and that's kind of like the uh, economic political reasons for this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the major reason and super simple, it's kind of, it was an aha moment for me when I, you know, reflected on it and, and read some, some works pointing the fact out there's just no money in herbal research right? Yeah, because you mm -hmm. can't patent it. There's no ownership. Right. So mm -hmm. if you go out there and you're like, you know, you're a, a pharmaceutical company and you know, you hear some good things about something like, let's say, Valerian or St. Saint, uh, John's Ward or, or something like that. And you're like, all right, yeah, uh, should we, you know, do put in like $10 million to research this, this <laughs> um, and, you know, the advisor at the other end of the table says back, well, are we going to be able to make $10 million back? Is that research going to help our, our medicine at all? Uh, or in fact, like we do that research and then a thousand companies will pop up selling it. So like, we don't have any, uh, like intellectual property on it because you can't yeah. patent an herb. 
And right. also, I would like to see people try because they just grow on the ground. I mean, they tried to do that with cannabis <laughs> and it didn't freaking work at all. Uh, so other herbs obviously won't. But so there's there's no money to be gained in it. Whereas with a pharmaceutical, mm. there's a lot to be gained, right? Because they can sure. patent it. Uh, even though there's generics of pharmaceuticals, there's certain you know laws in place when they do go through that process and patent it that mm-hmm. for a certain period of time, no one for a few years, I believe, no one can make a generic medication. And in those yeah. couple of years, a pharmaceutical company can make billions of dollars and that's all they need yeah, to do. Sure. So that's why they need to do the research. So there just isn't that financial uh, incentive and some may say, well, what about supplement companies and, and things like that? And that's pretty much the main people funding herbal research. Right, and that runs right, the risk right. of being biased as yeah. any kind of like motivated research into the area. It's not, uh, it always runs that risk of being a, a method to sell your product more so yeah. than to actually be honest and say, sure. oh, well, this research actually shows that our product is shit. Like, what are we going to do now? You know, mm-hmm. which is never something you hear in, in the research. It's always positive about herbs when you do hear about it. Um, so yeah, there's just no money in it. And um, also there's a question of whether that model of research would even be helpful. I mean, there's so many works written about mm. uh, how herbs have been used for tens of thousands of years. And those are experience derived, you know, the, yeah. I think of that as like the longest running science experiment in all human history. People wouldn't yeah, be using sure certain herbs from 10,000 years ago if they didn't have some effect, And if they didn't have the effects that people were using them for, right. People would just stop growing them. They'd stop using them you know, yeah. not, you know, people weren't stupid in the past. They were just as exactly as intelligent as we are now. They had different language and culture and things like that. But um, anyway, so anyone who's wondering, uh, you know, why someone says, oh, there's no research uh, on, on that question specifically, there is plenty of herbal research. Uh, yeah. And that's herbalism has always been one of my favorite areas because uh, within the natural health sphere, it is all I, you know, cause you'll read like a super skeptic article of like, Oh, this woo naturopathy, holistic practices. They're not research-based and you know, it's uh the witch doctors and all that stuff. But, but you'll always see in the article, Oh, but herbs do work though. So they have some basis. <laughs> so I'm always like, yes. Okay. You have to admit it. You have, you can't, you can't say they don't. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and there's even a tradition within uh, you know, the MD field, medical doctors of, uh, have you heard of uh, eclectic medicine or the eclectic yeah, doctors? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we think of, you know, MDs as practicing in a certain way, but before like 1940, 1930, 1920, most MDs were using herbs next to pharmaceuticals. Yeah. They didn't have yeah. this idea of like, these are pharmaceuticals. These are herbs. If the idea was these are medicines. Yeah. These are drugs. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. This Mm -hmm. is an isolated medicine, which a lot of times was derived from a plant. Totally. Yeah. And these are in their more whole forms and concentrated. Yeah. And, uh, a lot, a lot can be said about that. And it's, it's a real shame that the eclectic, uh, school kind of went under, but -hmm. in a lot of ways, I've seen that a lot of the links of the eclectics, they come into naturopathic medicine because that's mm-hmm. how a lot of naturopathic doctors practice now. Uh, mm-hmm. The ones who do use, you know, pharmaceutical medications also are, are very open to using, um, you know, herbs and things alongside of it. It doesn't have to be a either or. I think they have yeah. different goals. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, that kind of stuff interests me, uh, interests me a lot because I'm thinking of the long-term 
kind of future of herbalism. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's definitely not a fad because, you know, it's got 10,000 <laughs> years so or more. So it's definitely not a fad. It's not going any, uh, away anytime soon. But I'm wondering about a way to use herbs in a way that kind of honors both sides of it is like uh, scientifically uh, valid uh, through better, uh, better designed experimentation and more funding, yeah. but also, yeah. I mean, uses just the so much resources of information as a way of designing experiments, right? Like, why reinvent the wheel? Uh, if you know an herb has been used for this and this, test it for this and this in yeah. a holistic way. Like, really understand how people were using it, not just that they were using it for anxiety, because the the terms we use now and that they used before are different. It's like a different language, so you can't. Yeah. It's apples to oranges. Uh, so we yeah. got to make that translation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like, even just starting with using the whole, the whole, um, you know, herb as opposed to an isolate, that would be one, one step <laughs> that's so yeah. common as it is, you know? Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's a, there's a benefit of a super concentrated isolate. Uh, anyone who's ever taken, you know, like, like THC, uh, pure form or, uh, you know, any other compound derived from a plant, you know, that it's pretty obvious that they do have a medicinal effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the question always comes down to, well, what's the, you know, what are, what is one trying to do with it? Right. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like, there's some interesting synergy going on in plants that hasn't really been uh, researched very much. Uh, yeah. Like let's take cannabis, for example. Right. It's very well known now because there's so much research and incentive in the field now. There's so much mm-hmm. money to be gained. So there's tons of research. And that's why CBD is blowing up, if anyone's wondering. It's because there's actual incentive to study it. It's not because it's, you know, the only medicinal plant that works. It's because it's the only yeah. one where there's like a huge drive to, uh, uh, but but CBD and THC, they act synergistically. And all the yeah. terpenes in cannabis, they act synergistically. That's what the research is finding that, you know, the, the most beneficial medicinal effects in many cases is having certain ratios of THC to CBD, which are present, you know, naturally in the plant. And then also you have the terpenes, those mm-hmm. kind of aromatic compounds, which you find in a lot of medicinal herbs outside of mm-hmm. cannabis, mm-hmm. Uh, they modulate the effect. So yeah. uh, I don't know if you've had that experience of uh, using a cannabis product that's like very high THC and no CBD versus one that has some CBD in it. Um, and I could tell you that, you know, they're completely different. They're completely yeah. different in their effects. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't personally work with THC. It's not, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't agree with me, but I mean, I've had plenty of it in my life. And I would say from the sort of opposite standpoint, having just a CBD product, which was so popular when this um, boom started, right. Everybody had a CBD product and so many of them were just, a CBD isolate or this or that. And it was clear right away that if it had, if it was full spectrum, you know, and it had a little THC, even if it's below that, you know, 0.3% legal limit for the certain States, it works better, like Mm -hmm. way better, you know, and that's, that's the case for so many plants. It seems like that's the case for most medicinal herbs. uh, Yeah. That they have some, so, so uh, going back to that uh, original idea of, of taking in an herb for its evolutionary adaptation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the herb has a complex of chemicals that it all needs. There's not like, 
extraneous chemicals that are just like producing for fun yeah, or for the shits no, of it. Yeah, There's a reason they're interacting. So like yeah. you can't exactly just take out one part and say like, I don't like these other parts. Right. Cause yeah. this one chemical makes me feel really nice. And the other one is like, do you really need it? Well, the, the, what, what the research is finding, particularly in, in that area is that it does modulate the effects a lot. Um, and you know, just, uh, that's kind of like a great thing of the whole, uh, 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 cannabis boom, so to speak, is that it's kind of the door into herbalism. And yeah, and that was actually my experience mm-hmm. very early on when I was, you know, m- much in my younger phase of life, my college, the high school days, uh, the way I actually got into herbalism was through cannabis tincturing. That's the first mm, experience yeah. I ever had, uh, with an herb that really affected you so much that you were like, you just had to admit there's something going on with these herbs that I don't understand. Right. You know, I had chamomile teas and things like that. You can feel it. It makes you a little bit calm, things like that. But you know, when you have an herb like that in its whole form, you don't even need to isolate or anything that has so much of an effect. It makes you wonder what other herbs are out there that have these effects for different things. Like you don't, you know, you don't have to use an herb for getting (laughs) high. Yeah. Thousands. Like yeah. you don't have to use it for getting high, but what if you have a stomach ache? Oh, there's an herb for that. That works just as well. Like yeah. uh, that cannabis works for what feeling you're intending. So that got me yeah. really originally uh, interested in that. And of course, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics and psilocybin mushrooms and things like that. My earlier experience really mm-hmm. just showed that fact to me directly that, you know, uh, herbalism isn't uh, necessarily a lightweight. It doesn't have to be kind of like a lightweight medicine of like, oh, there's no harm to it. It's just going to benefit you. Like herbalism has that same ability uh, as uh, the strength as pharmaceuticals is all about dosage and quality and things like that. If you, I mean, if you take enough of any herb that you think is mild, you'll feel the effects. Like if you take a very, done some experiments with uh, 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 passion flower. I keep mentioning it because mm. it's probably one of my favorite herbs of all time. Yeah. Use a lot for anti anxiety effects. That's how the scientific side would say it. Of course, it's much deeper than that. Um, also, it looks like an alien plant. Have you ever it's seen wild. passion flower? Yeah. Is that yeah, from this earth? If you, if you, have I... a, if, if anybody <laughs> listening has a second to look up what passion flower looks like, just, yeah. and I've seen it in person and I'm like, is this from uh, this planet? It's just wild. Weird plant. Yeah. Weird plant. Is it an, is it an, so, you know, like magnolia is ancient, right? So is, is passion, passion flower particularly old? That's, know? I would have to look into that specifically. I wonder. I, I would say probably it has like that, that, that kind of ancientness to it quality. Uh, it's just bizarre. Yeah, it must be. It so looks bizarre. like it looks like something that existed in a prehistoric forest. That's it what does. it looks like. It, it looks like some exotic stuff that existed at a time when the climate was something completely different. Yeah. Um, maybe dinosaurs were eating passion flower when they didn't feel too well. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, anyway, back to the passion flower thing. Right. Passion flower is uh, very, very useful for, for a lot of things. Um, and you can experiment it for yourself. It's relatively mild. So it's like, you can take a pretty good deal of it without any negative effects. Not the same thing with pharmaceuticals. You know, you have to be yeah. right in a dosage range or else you're, you're asking totally. for problems. Yeah. Uh, making it like a really strong tea from passion flower, like five or 10 grams, mm-hmm. you drink that. And, uh, it almost has like, it has such a noticeably calming effect that it's like almost mildly psychedelic 
just on mm. its own, just passion yeah. flower. This thought of is very mild herb, but in, sure. in, in the certain dose, you'll see what the effect of the herb is. And yeah. that's kind of how I view the, you know, the, the interplay of the ancient system and the modern, the modern system tells us that, you know, physiology molecules are a real thing that have to be considered. And the ancient mm-hmm. says, this is what the thing does. So I kind of yeah. like finding that balance in between where you're getting that physiological effect, but you're using it in the traditional method. And, uh, yeah. And then you have the third force there too, which is the, you know, mind body effect or what they would call a placebo mm-hmm. effect, which is mm-hmm. just kind of a bastardization of the fact that our mind has like a, a mysterious link with how our, just our physiology functions. Yeah. So, yeah. Very powerful also. Mm-hmm. So what are some of your favorite, uh, favorite herbs, uh, go-to herbs that you use a lot with, with clients or that you find yourself mm-hmm. using a lot for yourself? God. Gosh, I feel like, you know, I do use a lot of the, the nervines or the nervines with clients, Mm -hmm. you know, adaptogens are so popular, but Mm -hmm. I find that, you know, people misunderstand that you usually need to build a foundation with those. And it's a long-term kind of gradual effect as opposed to a quick fix and people, tend to not understand how different all the adaptogens are because they're just marketed as like stress armor, right? Right, Which is just not accurate. So Mm -hmm. I usually, I'll use, you know, a couple of those, plus you don't need more than a, than one or two, you know, in a a formula, if you're using the adaptogens and then I'll, I'll work with nervines just if somebody is dealing with stress, anxiety, sleep, which tends to be so common, Mm-hmm. Um, I think lavender, like for somebody, so I don't use a lot of, um, cannabis. I use some CBD, but for me, lavender is a very potent relaxer. Um, so I use that with people and also for myself. And then I think I have to mention herbal bitters, like digestive bitters, mm-hmm. because I think that those are fascinating from a sort of variety of, uh, benefits standpoint mm-hmm. they they work in so many different ways. I think it's very interesting that we have these bitters receptors throughout our body. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big future in us understanding the value of bitters. I think because of all, all the digestive issues that people are struggling with these days and basically everybody needs bitters. Um, mm-hmm. they're so helpful for blood sugar. Like there's a lot there that many people need. So I think bitters are pretty powerful and almost always part of my, um, professional recommendation. Those are, that's what I would say. Yeah. I tend. And then for me personally, I I'm kind of big on like the happy hour herbs, like that time of day when you're like, okay, I want to kick back and relax and, um, mellow out naturally. And like, I don't, I don't really drink, um, alcohol and I tend to have a ton of energy. So for me, things that help me chill out, you know, for the latter part of my sort of day and evening, I'm really partial to. So kava was something that I fell in Mm -hmm. love with very early. Like I met kava as a kid, uh, lavender, like I mentioned, ashwagandha is always in the routine, Mm -hmm. but you know, not as like a kind of a quick fix I'll use. I don't know. I have like blue Lotus in my mix right now and Reishi and I'm kind of, I'm doing a lot with amino acids right now. So like tryptophan and, um, always L-theanine. 
but yeah, I mean, I use a ton of herbs every day. <laughs> Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kava, kava, kava. Yeah, that's 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 a great one uh, in its various forms. It's yeah. interesting when it's um, used medicinally, and I believe it was actually used. It was already people were already tincturing it and using it as early as the early 1900s before the whole like. Uh, oh. Because it, uh, when it kind of reached the West to a large degree, it wasn't a, as much of the kava kava ceremony drinking it. But right. they realized, hey, there's something medicinal going on. Let's you know use it for for medicine. So yeah, uh, yeah, both 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 methodologies uh, methodologies are great. Uh, that that's an herb that's very noticeably calming. It's kind oh, of similar so, to the effects yeah. of alcohol, minus like all of it seems like minus all the negative aspects of alcohol, like making you stupid, yeah. making you hungover, destroying <laughs> your body. Making you angry. Yeah. Yeah. And there was all this research that came out about kava kava for anyone who's like revolting and saying, don't recommend kava kava. It's dangerous to your liver. There was a lot of research. Well, it wasn't a lot of research. It was like one research study that came out with like kava kava toxicity to the liver. Um, but it turns out upon further scrutiny, uh, it seems that it was kind of irresponsible herbal yes. companies that yes. they weren't using just the root. They were just throwing the whole plant in and, yes. uh, and the traditional way of usage, that's like a big no, no. Cause it was known yes. that, you know, the, the other parts of the plant are pretty toxic. You don't, so they just, Oh, well it's, you know, we're selling it by weight. So let's just throw the whole plant in, right. It's medicine guys. And people having like liver damage and things with it. Uh, however, it's so, they were it's on so other medications. Too, so yes. Been, and this one stuff, Study this one study. It's like everybody knows. Now it has like warnings. It has warning. Kava kava. Like, uh, yeah. I tried to have it in one of my uh, one of my blends that I was selling earlier on, and uh, you know, on like a certain website, uh, they had like a specific clause that said you cannot sell anything that has kava kava. Yeah, we couldn't uh, we couldn't it. have it in our um, cafe. So we have a cafe apothecary, and we um, couldn't have it on the shelf behind the bar anything just only online so yeah it's 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 you know and it, it's different now it seems like kava kava the regulars have kind of forgotten about it and it's kind of just like on the shelves and things like that but um yeah it's still it got a little bit of uh, a stank to it you know yeah it got a little oh it's dangerous um <laughs> i don't know kava kava i would argue against it being dangerous because if you've ever uh, uh imbibed too much kava kava you know, have you ever, I don't know if you ever had the experience. It's very, it's very horrible. It's hard to do for me. I mean, you have to drink so many like shells of it. If you're trying to sort of get drunk, I've had, um, I think I've had a little too much tincture before. And I know that sensation. I've definitely had too much, um, kratom or kratom. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my point with those is uh, you know, like if you go kind of like a little bit, you overdo it. Yeah. The herb kind of like has a natural anti-abuse built <laughs> oh, into sure. it. Yeah. Because like there's no one out there like abusing Kratom in like high doses because you're just going to get nauseous. Like it's not it's not like, uh, you know, some other drug where, oh, it feels good here. More will feel better. More will feel mm. even better, better, better. And there's a really high ceiling to where the point where you can be feeling really good right before you OD and die from it. Yeah, uh, things really like, uh, things like Kratom are like, you wouldn't get anywhere near anything like an OD level. You'd be so, you just throw up. so disgusted by it way yeah. before that. So it has like a, that that's another benefit of herbs too, is like, 
it's got that natural anti uh, messing around with mechanism. Anti abuse. Kava kava yeah. is like that too. Um, uh, particularly if you use say. the powdered form, which I highly recommend Oof. never to use. I highly recommend yeah. not to use the powdered form. That it's will, hard. It's just it's like you just get so full. I mean, that's what they say about psychedelics too, right? There's this sort of built-in anti-abuse mechanism where you're using, you know, psychedelics and they're they're helping you to um be freer of mm-hmm. dependence and addiction. And yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Maybe coffee, maybe coffee is the-, the one that'll get you. <laughs> Yeah. Coffee. (laughs) Yeah. You could go, you could go pretty heavy into coffee, (laughs) but you know, who was it? Uh, Voltaire or something, the the famous, famous writer, like enlightenment thinker. He's, he apparently drank like 60 cups of coffee a day. I remember this now. Yeah, I just love that story (laughs) because anyone who says like, you're drinking too much coffee. I'm like, have you heard about this guy? (laughs) This guy is drinking way too much coffee and he wrote some really good stuff. So he didn't die from it at all. So yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah, you're not going to die from, you're not going to die from coffee. Like you're, you know, you, if you have like a caffeine overdose, there has actually been some deaths from caffeine, uh, but they're usually in young, younger people and Mm. they're uh, like caffeine pills and drinks and stuff like that. Not from like coffee. You'd have to drink so, so much of it. There has been some, uh, but those are in really, really high amounts. And anyone who's ever like, really tried to experiment with what's the upper tolerance of caffeine. When I was younger, I was just experimenting with everything. Uh, yeah. n- not so much anymore, especially with caffeine. Uh, but I remember one time I, I was hanging out with one of my friends, probably was like 15 or something like that. And we went to the store and we, we got uh, these energy drinks. I think it was called Redline or something. I don't know if you remember it. It came in these. Like, Sounds bottles. right. No, I don't know. It was know like one, one of those things you find at like GNC, those like, Sure. Not even at stores, like that super cap. It must have like 200 something milligrams of caffeine per thing. And me and my friend being incredibly intelligent at that age, as everyone is when they're 15, uh, uh, we both, uh, both drank two whole things of it in rapid succession. I was just like, bam, bam. Um, and then even to add to this, <laughs> to this stupidity, um, uh, we proceeded to go to like a local fair to go to like a, like, it's kind of like a, you know, like going rides and things to spin you around and stuff. Oh my gosh. And we got (laughs) there and, you know, we were in good spinets, spinets, in good spirits, spirits. (laughs) Oh my God, I can't speak today. Um, And, you know, we're about to go on the ride and stuff. And it was this thing that like loops you around. And it's like the most crazy thing you could go to at a county fair. And I remember uh, like looking at my friend and looking at it and, you know, my heart was like racing to a point where it's like uncomfortable. I was starting to get kind of like sweaty and clammy. I was looking at my friend and he's like, uh, I'm like, I don't feel good. And I remember like, (laughs) I remember like, I remember like, uh, I remember I was like, okay, executive decision. Like we're not going on a ride. Like, let's just go home. Like we're going to definitely have a heart attack. We're going on that ride right now. My friend was like, yeah. Oh, and so that was a good idea. Maybe, maybe who knows what would happen if I, I don't know if my heart could have beat any faster than it was at the moment. Yeah. So, That's uh, so crazy too. I'm thinking of like, you know, like a young, healthy human body, like at that age, like physically can probably handle a, a frightening amount of caffeine, 
but like the experience of handling that sounds yeah, no, traumatic. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> oh, it is. The story continues too, because um, uh, I got home uh, and I just wasn't really, I really was out of it. I wasn't feeling good at all. It wasn't like good, like you would expect from having so much caffeine. And also I wasn't super tolerant to it and I was younger and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and just drinking it really quickly on an empty, st- like that's just craziness. It's something I wouldn't even do today. That's just insanity. Mm. Even for like a very tolerant person. I remember laying in my, uh, laying, uh, laying down because I was worried that my heart was beating so fast that I was going to die. So I like just laid down and tried to calm my heartbeat down. Cause I'm like, I felt like I was on a roller coaster internally and I just like wanted to get off, but I couldn't. Yeah. Um, and I remember clocking in my heartbeat and it was probably like at like 160 or something resting, laying down. So, you know, caffeine is a natural substance found in herbs and a lot of good ones too. Uh, but it can, you know, it, there's a certain amount where, you know, it's not, it's not good. I didn't die. I didn't have any lasting effects. I don't even think I had much issue the next day, which is kind of weird thing of it. It's not like alcohol where you overdo it and you just, yeah. like, you just ruin your whole like next day at least because of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 you know, look into your, if you're going to use herbs, use them wisely, look into them a little bit. Don't just trust what the guy at the herb store says. He might not know shit about herbalism and look up dosages. What's like yeah. a safe amount, yeah. uh, especially if you're going to use those super potent herbs like mm-hmm. kava, uh, mitragyna, mm. you know, anything with caffeine, all that stuff. Like look up, you know, the amounts you're going to use and things like that. I still find it actually kind of surprising that, you know, energy drinks are just widely available at stores for younger people when yeah. i was younger i was big on the energy drinks but that's kind of like pretty dangerous actually because like no kid knows that like they're like oh the like, one monster makes you feel good so i wonder how five monsters will make me feel yeah and it's yeah, like you don't want to go be. through that experiment no and you also don't want to get hooked on it i mean i had so many friends that were already hooked on um, caffeine combination of caffeine and sugar from just drinking soda, you know, I mean, it happened, you have, it happened so young and such yeah. a, like caffeine is a, is a sneaky one. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it said, it's kind of interesting from a, a cultural perspective that mm. you know how they say that cultures have their, every culture has its method of inebriation or intoxication mm. that's mm-hmm. particular to that culture. Mm-hmm. And that tradition goes way back into the shamanic roots, right? Because shamans were using certain kinds of herbs to produce certain states of mind that they used for, you know, divination or soul retrieval or, or things like that. Yeah. And and what they say of the West is, uh, you know, the acceptable drugs are, are caffeine, totally. alcohol, uh, uh, nicotine, yeah. red meat, and sugar. Some people say red meat. I'm kind of questioning that, but definitely sugar. Maybe it's just, it's like protein or meat in general, you know, I mean, we definitely have a protein fixation, but yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, those yeah. are the acceptable ones, Agreed. right? Totally. And it, yeah. And a lot of Western uh, development, you can actually, you know, the way we view right now, like the kind of like psychedelic revolution, when, when tea and coffee became widely available, there was a coffee mm. and tea revolution. I mean, mm. it changed the whole world. Because it allowed you to, uh, you know, caffeine obviously stimulates the intellect and it gives you energy to do something that, you know, like sitting in front of a book and reading it, which would be very difficult from a biological sense because your body's like, 
Hey man, like, why are you just sitting? Like, I know you're looking at things <laughs> on a page, but like, really, what are you doing here? Let's get moving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there's this theory that that really shapes the culture and the fact that it's still the acceptable ones. Caffeine mm-hmm. is like, it's not a bother at all. It, it, it is actually really, uh, anyone who's ever, uh, you know, used caffeine at high amounts or drank a lot of coffee and stuff is like, you get pretty hooked on caffeine. Cause the withdrawal from caffeine is like, oh, sure. it is yeah. like not, it doesn't correspond at all to the effect of it. Cause you drink a cup of coffee. You're like, yeah, I feel great. Yeah, you or don't I drink a coffee normal. one day. Yeah. Or it's like, I don't know if anyone's ever tried to stop coffee, but it is like amazing what happens when you stop drinking it. Like, yeah, you have like, you're like, you could be like bed sick from it. It's crazy. I felt like Headaches, I was stoned for days. Blue, just out of it. Just it's, yeah. it's weird, you know? So yeah. So at the end of the day, it is a drug and Drugs are all about how you use them, right? Whether it's medicinal or it's abusive. I think that really is what it comes down to. And alcohol, alcohol is one that's worth talking about. It's it's a it's an interesting one because it has some, it has benefits in terms of social cohesion and stuff and community and stuff. But I don't know like if there's a single drug that has had more of a destructive effect than alcohol. I mean, alcoholism is maybe one of the worst drug addictions that exists. Um in terms of like how it changes somebody just having experience with people who, who have those kind of issues. Uh, and you know, it's obviously very harmful for your body and people do really stupid shit. Like no one's, no one's out there, you know, you know, smoking some cannabis and, you know, getting into like bar fights. Like that just doesn't happen. <laughs> but alcohol is like, you put enough alcohol into any dude at a bar and weird kind of things happen. It's, so it has its benefits and downsides. It's interesting to me. And it's been said, uh, it's interesting. The fact that it's so like widely available, it's kind of like the drug of choice of Western society. Like oh, Western totally society is, is like, yeah. you either have go, go, go drugs. You got the nicotine and uh, caffeine, and then you have mm-hmm. the slow you down and help you sleep drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the ones that are acceptable. Although with psychedelics coming in, it's getting better. Speaking of things getting better. Hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. And if you're interested in reading more about uh, psilocybin legality in Oregon, uh, safety tips, and microdosing, be sure to check out my new article at holisticpsyche.com slash blog. Uh, A lot of people have been uh, very excited about it, and I am as well. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe. And uh, there will be a special promotional code for the Herbal Hour for our guest, uh, Rochelle Robinette. So you can check that out in the show notes as well as all other links, including one to get a free mental health naturopathic consult by phone with myself. Back to the show. What do you think about what's going on right now uh, in different states, obviously, uh, legalizing cannabis use? And then uh, even more interesting to me, uh, the legalization of psilocybin as a medical therapy in places like Oregon. What do you, what do you think about that? You think that's a good thing? Not a good thing. Um, I think that the potential for psychedelics to to like truly revolutionize, um, how we treat and how we live with mental health is, um, phenomenal. And I think it's a complicated issue. I mean, I don't, I'm not 
an expert on the subject, you know, in terms of the ramifications of legalization and at what stage, you know, you want to be doing that for sort of recreational use and uh, medical use. But I think that overall, the the trajectory toward more people having access to, I mean, as many people as possible, having safe access to these plants in, you know, proper set and setting for healing is the goal for sure. I mean, they are, they're unparalleled as you know, and as so many people know in terms of what they could do for us. So I just, you know, I just hope that we get to see it happen all the way through this time, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that, that it is, that it becomes an accessible thing with an emphasis on um, healing contexts, you mm. know, as opposed to um, abuse. Mm-hmm. But these don't seem yeah. these don't seem inclined to encourage, you know, or uh, lead to abuse. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think they they've been doing it in a pretty smart way here in Oregon. It hasn't been fully implemented. It's still like kind of in the process, but the the legislation has already passed, uh, but really uh, using it in kind of like a medical context, like there are going to be facilitators that need to get training and how to use it. And you can yeah. only use it at the centers. It's not going to be like, it's not going to be like with cannabis uh, as far as I can see in the legislation allows for, where you could just go to mm-hmm. a store and just buy shrooms. I don't think that that's uh, necessarily going to happen, nor do I think that that's necessarily a good idea either. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of debate on that, you know, personal use and things like that. I mean, you could just grow it on your own. It's not really, it's just a natural thing. So, you know, do you really need it from a store if you're just going to use it in that sense? Um, But yeah, what I, what I think about with that uh, is one, I think overall it's a really positive sign of like a open-mindedness to these things. Cause I feel Mm. like the whole like door was like slammed shut on psychedelics. Yeah. uh, You know, in the, I guess 70s mm-hmm. um, and so much was lost with that uh, mm-hmm. so much was lost in terms of particularly for the usage and you know psychospiritual uh, type issues which you know there's not really anything like psilocybin it's its own thing uh, it is its own experience and it's yeah it it's, seems to be far more than just like a drug it can really change your whole perspective on on life uh after just one experience there's really great research behind it and that's kind of like psychedelics in general they're they have their own special class they're not yeah. something that just necessarily makes you feel good actually uh psychedelic experience could be incredibly difficult um but that's actually a lot of where the benefit comes from uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally yeah. true um, just so you know, I have I have eight minutes until I have a meeting. All right, I'm eight sorry. minutes. I, I've All right, let's, go. let's get some good stuff in eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. All right. What have we not touched on yet? What is it? What is something some, that you wanna you wanna talk about in the field of of herbalism? What do you think people should know about? Oh gosh. What's some I mean, cool stuff going on? Yeah, I mean, I just I really feel like I want people to not fear herbs and not fear herbalism and know, you know, the sort of the potential that is here for the healing that so many people are asking for. You know, we have so it's just it's it's what I it's what you deal with too, you know. Help me with this symptom, help me with this imbalance, help me because I'm sick, help me feel better. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of answers to those questions. And they're in the natural world. Like what more could we ask for? You know, 
Um, and like you said early on, people, there's there's this sensation that this stuff is new and it's like, it's unstudied, yeah, so we need to be careful. And we've just sort of forgotten that actually, you know, it preceded everything and it was part of the human experience and we evolved together and there's thousands of years of experience and, and, you know, research in that, in that sense, um, on so many of these remedies. And I just, I really want to encourage people to feel, you know, empowered to go into it, to find an herbalist or to do it themselves or, you know, to bring it into the life. I think sometimes herbalism looks like a, a witchy, farmy, homesteady kind of oddity, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be that either. You can, you know, live in New York City like me and work in fashion like I used to and and it can still be part of your life or you can be homesteading and it can be part of your life. Like it's it's for all of us because the reality is that, um, you know, even if we live in a concrete jungle, we are living beings and we're part of the natural world and we get sick when we forget that. Mm. So love that. That's, that's what I have to say about that's, that. That's great. That's very, <laughs> that's very inspiring. What I would Thanks. say to, to add to that uh, and reiterate what we talked about before uh, is focusing in on uh, uh, the connection with nature herbs as yeah. a kind of way to reconnect with nature. And yeah. there's something different about, you know, uh, you know, buying, you know, a bag of tea and making yourself some tea and enjoying it, than yeah. going out, finding an herb growing in wild, of course, be careful and like, make sure you know what you're doing, <laughs> have somebody guide you or go Don't for simple ones. Yeah. Um, I just have to give that disclaimer. So I should be picking herbs out, but anyway, uh, there's, there's a lot more to like seeing it in its, in its uh, natural state, how it grows uh, and connecting with it kind of as like a living being of, mm, uh, I yeah. think that's where you reach maximal benefit. I know for, for formulas I've made the most potent formula I ever made, I think the most effective one I ever made was using St. John's Ward, And I, mm. I believe it's because I uh, had, you know, the fresh still alive flowers it was times I went out into the uh, field and actually picked it myself. St. John's was a really easy one because it's, uh, you know, Hypericum perforatum. It. it has the perforated leaves, the little pinholes in it. So there's no mm. mistaking it for anything else. Yellow you flower. You just smash it yeah. and see that red. Smush it, you get that purplish. Yeah. yeah. So that that's a good one to start with of finding because it grows around in the wild everywhere I've looked. And yeah. it doesn't mimic anything that's poisonous that I'm aware of. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's two tests, so no other plant does. Anyway, um, I found that those, uh, those formulas were the most effective for when I use them personally, when I use them for other people, for some reason, maybe there's some, uh, you know, biological explanation for that expiration of compounds, things like that. But also there was something more of me, me knowing the direct source of it. Like I was more mm. like a mediator between this being and it, it wasn't me doing anything really. I was just the one who was like, Hey, have you met my friend St. John's Ward over here? That's like, cool. Yeah. You know, making the connaction, so to <laughs> matchmaking. speak. With the person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, herbalmatchmaking.com, a new website coming soon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I um, refer to it as matchmaking sometimes. I think yeah. people like no, that that's concept. Good. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some for you know, budding herbalists out there, I think, yeah, David Winston is a is a great source to look into. Matthew Wood, Rosemary Gladstar. I mean, there's 
there's there's a lot and you know they all approach herbalism in a different way so find what resonates mm-hmm. with you and what makes sense to you and you know uh i think herbalism fundamentally puts you know the power of healing back in the people's hands yeah yeah uh, it does and you know industrial medicine takes it away and even yeah. even takes away the power of healing from doctors because they feel forced to use certain products or not um and one thing, a thought experiment I always think about um, of why study herbalism? What's the point when there's all these good pills out there? Well, think about this. If something, you know, God forbid, catastrophic happened on the earth and, you know, civilization had to kind of like restart and people kind of living on their own, like, how are you going to make pharmaceuticals? Like, that's going to be like, that's gone. That's that's, that's not going to be an option. You're not going to have factories. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pharmaceuticals don't grow on a tree in nature, but herbs <laughs> knowledge of herbs, how to identify them, how to use them medicinally. That's the kind of stuff that if you're in a forest, you know, it could save your life. Who, who knows, but it's always there because it's connected Mm. to the earth and nature. It's not, uh, herbalism is, has more to do with herbs than humans. You know, it's us Mm. studying how they affect us and, uh, through that medium connecting through the planet, right. Without plants, uh, there'll be no animal life on this earth. I think that's, that's pretty much biologically yeah. verified. So we are mm-hmm. kind of a symbiotic organism. So let's start acting like it guys. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And be safe too. That's an important point. Yeah, yeah. Especially with picking things in the wild, which I don't think anyone will have an issue with because we've kind of been taught that, you know, herbs are dangerous and things like that in school. So most people are afraid even when they see like a little wild strawberry to eat it. Uh, yeah, to yeah. overcome that that urge and realize those uh, are so good if you have the knowledge nature will provide for you you know mm. that's the important that's the important thing all oh, right beautiful we have uh rochelle robinette and dr bogdan uh i'm a naturopath herbalist and she is an herbalist holistic coach and uh this has been the herbal hour podcast thank you guys so much for listening